a few more chapters in Exodus. And we are in Exodus 37. Exodus 37. The making of the ark. The central piece of the entire tabernacle. The highlight of the entire tabernacle because this was exactly the compartment in the tabernacle where God would come and meet and dwell with his people. And Bezalel or Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length. Or 45 inches long. 27 inches wide and 27 inches high, approximately. Depending upon the convention they use to translate cubits. There's some variations. But approximately this size. Not very big, but a place where the omnipotent is coming down. We saw what happened earlier in Exodus when, Exodus when God came down on the big mountain, Mount Sinai. The entire place was shaking. There was an earthquake when God came down. Fire came, smoke, and all kinds of things. And now God's presence is coming here, but no such thing is happening. So the glory fills, and the people cannot enter. That is, a priest cannot enter in when that happens. But this is the same God who also came on Mount Horeb to Elijah. Still a small voice. God will come to us the way we really need Him to come to us, not the way we might expect and like, in order for our hearts to be purified, made white. We need to be in awe of the Lord and how quickly the Lord schools us and teaches us when we veer off. He's so good and how quickly comes to help us in our distress. A very present help in trouble. This ark he overlaid it inside and outside with pure gold. And he ran a molding of gold all around it. He cast four gold rings and attached them to its four feet. Two rings on each side. Then he made poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. Only certain people were to carry it. They were to hold it in a certain way also because it represented the very presence of God. Then he made the ark's cover the place of atonement from pure gold. It was 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim, these angelic beings, from hammered gold and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. And the replica that's there at Timna Park in southern Israel, life-size fabrication or making of this production of this tabernacle 
sometimes you hear people saying, you know, if you enter in here, you could die. A tour guide. And although information that is valuable is presented, a lot of truth, they say, if you enter here, you can die. Now, who would like to go in? And there's a smile and a chuckle. Of course, it's not the genuine tabernacle. Nobody's going to die, but they're alluding to the very presence of God in the house of God at that time. I cannot make light of it. Neither going in to see through the veil that they have, duplication, and seeing that chest, this ark, and touching it without having reverence. It's not the real article, the genuine article, but still, it represents the very presence of God. And even in uh, duplication of such a thing, we need to remember what it meant. People died. It's important when we read the Word of God, we don't just think about tatches and latches and clasps and whatever we think about for the normal building or construction project. This is a pattern from heaven. This was the presence of God. Every part of it was sacred. Verse 8, He molded the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim faced each other and looked down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it. They protected it. God has these angels around him, special angels. And as we see elsewhere, such as in Isaiah 6, they cover themselves in various ways because of the almighty radiance of God in his awesomeness. Even these creatures that God has created to be so close to them, close to him. There is no other God. There is only one God. And all of creation bows to him. And every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. The cherubim faced each other and looked down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it. They protected it. Then Bezalel, or Bezalel made the tab- table of acacia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold and ran a gold molding around the edge. He decorated it with a three-inch border all around, and he ran a gold molding along the border. Then he cast four gold rings for the table, another portable piece of furniture, and attached them at the four corners next to the four legs. We're in Exodus 37, verse 14. The rings were attached near the border to hold the poles that were used to carry the table. He made these poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he made special containers of pure gold for the table. Bowls, ladles, jars, and pitchers to be used in pouring out 
liquid offerings. These are the vessels that we may not read about when we think about the tabernacle, but they had to be there. Consecrated vessels, as we have heard repeatedly from the Spirit of God speaking through Pastor Kerber regarding the coming of a vessel of honor unto God, exclusively for its use. How we strive for that, and how we ought to. How God will make it so if we believe and if we are desperate for that. Which involves, as we know, separation, consecration, and a perseverance. These jars and bowls and pitchers and ladles were to be used in pouring out liquid offerings. Then Bezalel made the lampstand of pure hammered gold. He made the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece, solid gold. This was the object, furniture, that would light up that holy place. It was the only source of light there before they went through the veil, the high priest once a year. God's glory would light up that most holy place. Hallelujah. He made the entire lampstand and his decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. And they had to supply oil continually to keep the light burning. We saw the symbolic foreshadow foreshadowing of this that we need the supply from the Holy Spirit to keep our lamps burning, lights burning. John, we heard last evening, was a burning light. Recall he was filled with the Spirit from the womb. We need the Holy Spirit to cause us to be lights in this world to our families, to extended relatives, to friends, to colleagues, to strangers, even to enemies. We need to be having the Spirit of God upon us and be anointed. The lampstand had six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches had three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. The center stem of the lampstand was crafted with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. Once again, I encourage you to go online. There are many, many pictures, artist renderings from the description in the Bible. You can get that visual. But before that, we want the Holy Spirit to imprint the image that is translated from the Word of God even through our spirits. And then we can look at the other things. There was an almond bud beneath each pair of branch branches where the six branches extended from the center stem, all made of one piece. The almond buds and branches were all of one piece with the center stem, and they were hammered from pure gold. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This lampstand surely represents Christ. The table with the showbread represents Christ, the bread of life. You see Christ in the tabernacle everywhere. He is our covering. He is our atonement. He is our light. He is our bread. He is the pure water of life. He is everything. Hallelujah. I wonder if Jews today who have the menorah and various replications of that, the utility of that in their synagogues and perhaps in their homes, in their Jewish religious folklore, and even in the Orthodox Jews' reading and reverence for the Word of God, could they understand that it all points to Messiah, the Mashiach, the living Lamb of God, Jesus Christ? We have that privilege to have knowledge that the entire universe longs for and groans for. We have a level of intimacy with the truth of God that surpasses even the angels. The angels who know so much and they can see so much, they can do so much. The Bible says they desire to look into the salvation. They can't get into it as we can. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. How privileged we are. How we need to know, as we heard again last evening, we have limited time. We need to get all we can from God to do all we can for the glory of God before our time's up. Oh God, help us not to trifle with the passing things of this world. Help us not to have a divided loyalty and miss the best. Miss life itself. May we read the word of God. May we get back on track. Sometimes we are filled with this desire and zeal, having heard the word of God or stirred up by some event and God is allowed and we become sober. Come out of that drunken stupor with the attachment to the cares of this life and the world and things that don't really matter. But then again, we can slack off and begin to backslide. God's saying this morning, get back to business. Hallelujah. To the Father's business. We are all a kingdom of priests. We must make sure that our light shines in this world. The reason we wear what we wear, we do what we do. The reason we use what God gives us anything, even to the point of eating and drinking, must be to the glory of God. Now the question is, have you conveyed that to your family? Do you have such a fear of God that nothing is casual? That you are such a force in your family, whether to your husband or to your wife or to your children or to your parents, your in-laws, that they see the passion for Jesus in you? It's no longer casual. We get together and pass the time and have a good time and have a blessed night and good night. Maybe say a token prayer for dinner. But you are burning light for God. You're glowing as a living, walking tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Only then will people be drawn to the God 
of your tabernacle. He also made seven lamps for the lampstand, lamp snuffers and trays, all of pure gold. How detailed and loving God is, how wise and thoughtful, how beautiful he designs everything in creation, even this that he gave man to make with that heavenly pattern and then he anointed the people to do it just the way it's supposed to be. The entire lampstand along with its accessories was made from, as you said, tens of pounds, 75 pounds of pure gold. Now we're coming before, right before the veil. Right before you enter into the most holy place, we have this incense altar. He started with what's in the most holy place, the ark, and then the table that's in the holy place on the right side, and then the lampstand on the left side as you enter the tabernacle from the outside door, and then now right before the partition of the holy place and the most holy place, this altar to offer incense to God. Then Bezalel made the incense altar of acacia wood. It was 18 inches square and 36 inches high, with horns at the corners carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. He overlaid the top sides and horns of the altar with pure gold. No silver here, no bronze. Gold, pure gold. And he ran a gold molding around the entire altar. He made two gold rings and attached them on opposite sides of the altar below. The gold molding to hold the carrying poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Then he made the sacred anointing oil, that special compound, exact ingredients God gave with a distinct heavenly fragrance. Nobody can duplicate that. They would die if they tried. This was sacred exclusively for God's glory, His use. The materials were available, obviously. They weren't dropped from heaven at that point, but they were available. But when they took the ingredients, and as we mentioned, even to a pin in the tabernacle, the moment it is either made or acquired in case of these raw materials and then dedicated to God, it became God's property, holy, just as we are. Then he made, we're in verse 29 of Exodus 37, the sacred anointing oil and the fragrant incense using the techniques of a skilled incense maker. He was anointed for this work. Hallelujah. Next, Bezalel used acacia wood to construct the square altar of burnt offering. Exodus 38, verse 1. Whoever would like to read the Word of God this morning as we go through this chapter also can go ahead from 1 to verse 8. The New Living Translation because of the measurements will be easier to understand. Exodus 38, verse 1 to 8, NLT. 
He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five. Just a second, Pastor. We're going to the NLT version. Sure. NLT version, Exodus 38, verses 1 to 8. Next, Bezalel used acacia wood to construct the square altar of burnt offering. It was seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. He made horns for each of its four corners so that the horns and altar were all one piece. He overlaid the altar with bronze. Then he made all the altar utensils of bronze, the ash buckets, shovels, basins, meat forks, and fire pans. Next, he made a bronze grating and installed it halfway down the side of the altar, under the ledge. He cast four kings, four rings, and attached them to the corners of the bronze grating to hold the carrying poles. He made the poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He inserted the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar. The altar was hollow and was made from planks. Bezalel made the bronze wash basin and its bronze stand from bronze mirrors donated by the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. Praise God. Praise God. We see the bronze materials outside of the tabernacle. That altar burnt offering and then that wash basin or lever right before the entrance of the actual tabernacle. Someone else please read from verse 9 down to verse 20. Then Bezalel made the courtyard, which was enclosed with curtains made of finely woven linen. On the south side, the curtains were 150 feet long. They were held up by 20 posts, set securely in 20 bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. He made a similar set of curtains for the north side, 150 feet of curtains held up by 20 posts set securely in bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. The curtains on the west end of the courtyard were 75 feet long, hung with silver hooks and rings, and supported by 10 posts set into 10 bases. The east end, the front, was also 75 feet long. The courtyard entrance was on the east side, flanked by two curtains. The curtain on the right side was 22 and a half feet long and was supported by three posts set into three bases. 
The curtain on the left side was also 22 and a half feet long and was supported by three posts set into three bases. All the curtains used in the courtyard were made of finely woven linen. Each post had a bronze base and all the hooks and rings were silver. The tops of the posts of the courtyard were overlaid with silver and the rings to hold up the curtains were made of silver. He made the curtain or the entrance to the courtyard of finely woven linen and he decorated it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple and scarlet thread. It was 30 feet long and its height was seven and a half feet, just like the curtains of the courtyard walls. It was supported by four posts each set securely in its own bronze base. The top of the posts were overlaid with silver and the hooks and rings were also made of silver. All the ten pegs used in the tabernacle and courtyard were made of bronze. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read the rest of the section. So you see 150 feet long. You see the measurement inside of the tabernacle. It didn't take up the whole courtyard. Relatively small. But a certain specific measurement and proportion. God had said this is the pattern. That's how it is. And as we keep reading, the Spirit of God can reveal more and more. A lot of literature has been written on this. Commentaries and explanations can be very enriching. But as I said, the first thing is to pray and say, Lord, you put this here for a reason. These measurements, everything. I want you to teach me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I want to be a lover of your word. This is your word. Every part of this is your word. Show me more. I can reiterate some of the rich things we've learned along the way. But it's there in the recordings concerning the linen, concerning the materials, concerning the order of the colors, the heavenly meanings. Now we see the total contribution in the inventory. This is an inventory of the materials. We're in Exodus 30. 821. This is an inventory of the materials used in building the tabernacle of the covenant or the tent of meeting. The Levites compiled the figures as Moses directed. The Lord Jesus multiplied the two fish and five loaves. And there were 12 baskets with the fragments. Everything God does is not only precise, but productive and profitable. There is no waste. God wanted Moses to direct the Levites to keep a note of the figures. I'm scrolling down here to see if anyone's unmuted. 
there's some interference there. And these people, they took into account everything that came there. And Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest, served as recorder. Bezalel, or Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. We read about Noah, that it's written, and Noah did just as he was commanded by God. God found people he can trust. He found people who would do it just like he said, with no input from the human minds. That's the only way to serve God. To be able to hear God and then to respond simply by obedience. He was assisted by Aholiab, son of Ahismach, of the tribe of Dan, a craftsman expert at engraving, designing, and embroidering with blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth. The people brought special offerings of gold, totaling, the NLT translates it, 2,193 pounds. It's written in the Hebrew that it's about 29 talents and 730 shekels or some 994 kilograms. Shekel being about 11 grams. What do you suppose this amount of gold would be worth today? 2,193 pounds. My goodness. How good God is. He is our goodness. This is how much they brought apparently from Egypt. 2,193 pounds as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. This gold was used throughout the tabernacle. How solid and how precious the construction was. The whole community of Israel gave 7,545 pounds of silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. We mentioned a couple of times already in the past few days that to give something, whether it's this uh, rich cloth, various colors, tapestry, all the materials, the wood, everything. And then to go and look in the house and see what can we bring to the construction for God, an offering for God. He has called us to bring it and what a privilege. How much do we have here? Maybe one tribe, maybe in their tent, one family head would say, well, we have about 35 pounds of gold here. Now, if I, presumably... 35 bars or pieces if it was one to a pound if I give up 10 of these I'm out 10 pounds of gold and I'll be left with 25 I'm going to be poorer so maybe I'll give just one maybe I'll just 
leave the gold aside and go and give the silver. Well, they could have. It was up to them. You see, when we come to God, we think to shortchange Him so that we don't get shortchanged. We end up losing everything because we've dishonored the Lord. We've not availed ourselves of the opportunity to do something that is astounding, that we can actually bless God, the, the supreme blesser, the one who's given us everything we have. Every good thing that we have comes from one source, God himself. But apparently they came willingly. They did their best. They brought and they gave. The whole community of Israel gave 7,545 pounds of silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. This silver came from the tax collected from each man registered in the census. The tax is one beka, which is half a shekel. Some things were collected as a tax, some willing offerings. Based on the sanctuary shekel, the tax was collected from 603,550 men who had reached their 20th birthday. You see that age with reference to war and also reference to the new generation that would inherit Canaan while the old generation died out. This age of 20. The hundred bases for the frames of the sanctuary walls and for the posts supporting the inner curtain required 7,500 pounds of silver. About 75 pounds for each base. The remaining 45 pounds of silver was used to make the hooks and rings and to overlay the tops of the posts. The people also brought, as special offerings, 5,310 pounds of bronze, which was used for casting the bases for the posts at the entrance to the tabernacle, and for the bronze altar with its bronze grating and all the altar utensils. Bronze was also used to make the bases for the posts that supported the curtains around the courtyard, the basis for the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard and all the tent pegs for the tabernacle and the courtyard. Exodus 38 and 37. We read previously that the people were told to stop bringing. It was too much. God put such a stirring in their hearts. They were moved to give and to do. And they reaped the blessing of God God did come down to the tabernacle they made. How he condescended to what was made with human hands, though anointed by the Spirit of God. How he came supernaturally, broke through time and space from eternity to come and dwell among his people just like he said he would. And how we can offer the best that we have to offer with our human hands human hearts touched and stirred by the Spirit of God God will take it when Solomon put the sacrifices on the altar the fire came down from heaven God took it God is well pleased when Elijah offered the sacrifice the fire came from heaven when we do it right when we say Lord my life belongs to you everything belongs to you Lord and the purpose that you have for me once again, as we heard in Life Training School last evening, 
I will not miss that, God. I must do what you want me to do. And I don't want to settle for 30% usefulness, oh God, when you want 100% of me to do 100% of what you have given the blueprint, the pattern in heaven, even before I was born. Did you know that? There's a pattern in heaven, just like for the building of the tabernacle, with your name on it, the blueprint. With my name on it, exact pattern from heaven is up to us to yield ourselves willingly 100% to the altar so that God can fill us with the Spirit and we can finish the work just like Jesus said it is finished. My meat or the food, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me came from heaven. When we get born again, we're no longer from this world. We're from above. It's to finish that work. To do God's will. To do His work and to finish it. These people we'll see, we'll see shortly, perhaps tomorrow, Lord willing, or the day after, the end of Exodus. They completed the whole task and the entire direction from going from that groaning in the beginning of Exodus of people who virtually lost their identity they were beaten, they were slaves you know what God showed them? when you work for me you won't be treated as slaves you're my precious treasure and your dignity and your value in laboring will no longer be at the crack of a whip seeking to find some dignity and there's nothing there because you're pushed around you're taken advantage of you're crushed trying to survive under harsh taskmasters the Lord says my service is not like that my yoke is easy my burden is light what a joy to work for God are you working for God? you're taking in a lot from the word of God what are you doing for the Lord? Have you consulted him? You're not meant to be just a housewife or a career woman or a career man or whatever we do, freelancer, hobbyist, inventor, scientist, businessman, medical professional. In the different roles, whether it's grandmother, uncle, father, mother, grandparent that is grandfather cousin how futile to go through what everybody else goes through and miss the eternal call and for the believer everything is laid out in front of us God says I do have a blueprint not only to save you to take you from as we preach to people in evangelism God has a place for you in heaven he has a blueprint for your plan of salvation. But he has something so detailed to the very pegs, to the loops of the curtain. Every hair on your head is numbered. What a blessing. Let's seek the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to make a move from point A to point B unless I see the cloud move the glory cloud unless I see the pillar of fire God's presence 
Have you ever said that, Lord? What I need most is not another human being. What I need most is not the forecast of some human expert for whatever I'm seeking. What I need most is not relief from this or that to give me a safe comfort zone. I need your presence. With your presence, I can go anywhere and do anything for your glory. I need you, Lord. And I need the glory, just like in the tabernacle in Exodus 40, to come down into my home increasingly till it overflows to the streets. People will see me, my dwelling place, and say, I want that. Not the dwelling place, but I want the presence that's in that dwelling place. The presence of Almighty God. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is my Father's house. I'm called to take care of it. I'm called to worship Him in it. And as David said, I will not give to God what does not cost me anything. I'm going to offer a pleasing sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. The widow came with all she had and by faith she gave it to God. God's glory comes on the sacrifice that is sincere and truly a sacrifice. Not a leftover of something that I really don't need immediately. But the best. These people at this stage at least they brought their best willingly. It's a picture of the church, the body of Christ, and the members of the body of Christ. We come to God with our best praises, not holding back. When it's time for testimony, we should be bursting out. In other words, we should already have been doing that during the day. So when the call is given, it's seamless. It's not something I have to sit and think about and how will it sound and what can I say and we should be ready and willing instantly to give glory to God. And God will move us to be able to draw people to do the same thing till multitudes come before him on that day in Revelation as it's written. Many through you and through me when we're faithful to bow down before God and the Lamb which is upon the throne. It's a blessing and honor, glory and might and dominion and power be unto you, O Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for taking us into your book, your holy word, Lord, and into this particular book, Exodus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that this will stay permanently with us, Father. Everything we read, everything we hear, that there will be a, a true growth in our spirits, Lord. I would say, what I've learned in Exodus is going to stick with me forever, not just in my head, but in my heart and in my hands, what I do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for strengthening our spiritual muscles to put up a fight against Satan when he tries to stop us 
from growing in your grace. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you fill every brother, every sister with the treasure that is ours, which is the Word, which is Christ. To Lord, when feelings of discontentment, temptations to be bored, to have questions, doubt, discouragement. When the temptation comes to go by our feelings, we would put up a fight against anything that's not of you. And say, but the truth is this. The feeling the devil wants to give is this. But no, this is the truth. I'm going to be guided by the truth of God's word. And he is my healer. He is my redeemer. He is my sanctifier. He is my all in all. He is my joy. Hallelujah. The devil can't have that. Glory be to God. Father in heaven, I pray that you strengthen your people with the word. Strengthen your people with your heavenly joy today, Lord. Whether it's morning or night, wherever they're listening from. That your presence will fill their place. And they will be able to touch the lives who they live with. Oh God. To have a greater zeal for God. That God has to be first in everything. To you belong all the glory, honor, and praise, Lord. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Not just the physically poor, but the spiritually poor. In a negative way. They don't know the Lord. They're impoverished. And he has sent me to preach deliverance or proclaim liberty to the people that are bound to the captives. To give that recovery of sight to people who are blind. To come and proclaim to set at liberty, have the power to set people free who are crushed. And to preach the day of salvation. This is the acceptable year of the Lord, Father in heaven. Cause this to happen, Lord. Cause this to happen for our loved ones who are bound, who are suffering. That we would, Father, persevere in your presence and cry with all our hearts. Believing, praying, obeying you, receiving from you, till our prayers become more and more powerful, till the devil is afraid of us, Lord, and the time of suffering will be shortened and come to an end. Oh God, I thank you. We are your people. You've called each one of us to be, just as we heard in Luke 4, 18, 19, by grace. We thank you and praise you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your provisions daily, day in and day out. Every day we have everything, Lord, that we need. You are God who supplies all that we need, Lord. Hallelujah. And my God shall supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.